He is the creator and sustainer of all the worlds, whether those worlds are known or unknown to mankind. Eyes unclouded by hate. Does not wisdom cry and understanding put forth her voice? Hello, everyone. My name is Charlie. You might know me better as sci fi fantasy writer C.E. Dorset. And today we are continuing our study on The Prophet by Khalil Gibran. And if you would like to read along with me, the book is now in the public domain, so you should be able to do a quick web search and get a copy of it. If you've enjoyed this show and everything that I've been doing lately, please. Take a moment to rate me in the podcasting app that you listen to me on. That really does help out a lot. That tells the algorithm to share me with more people, and I would be greatly appreciated if you would do that. All right, let us begin picking up with the chapter on pleasure. And then a hermit who visited the city once a year came forth and said, Speak to us of pleasure. And he answered, saying, Pleasure is a freedom song, but it is not freedom. It is the blossoming of your desires, but it is not their fruit. It is the depth, I'm sorry, it is a depth calling unto a height, but it is not the deep nor the high. It is the cage taking wing." but it is not space encompassed. I, in very truth, pleasure is a freedom song, and I fain would have you sing it with fullness of heart. Yet I would not have you lose your hearts in the singing. Hmm, okay, so... This one is actually going to be a bit more of a discourse. Unlike previous chapters of the book, we are actually going to get a response from the audience before, and then we'll see how this goes. Okay, so first of all, let's let's notice who is doing the speaking, because as we've seen in previous chapters, Sometimes the questioner is almost as important as the question. And so in this chapter, we find a hermit who visits the city of Orphalese once a year. And he's come forward to ask his question about pleasure. Now, <clears throat> in theory, the reason this chapter is initiated by a hermit is because hermits and most ascetic movements tell us that pleasure is the enemy, and that self-denial is the way that we find spiritual fulfillment. In some ways, you can imagine this almost as a test to the prophet. Well, pleasure leads to all manner of sin, so what is pleasure? And so the prophet tells us that pleasure is a freedom song, but not freedom. This is important, and you see this refrain 
being repeated over and over again just to ensure that you get the metaphor. It is the freedom song, not freedom. It is the blossoming of desire, not the fruit. It is depth calling to a height, but it is not deep nor high. It is the caged taking wing, not the space encompassed. So what does this mean? You've heard me say often on the show in citation of uh, Joseph Campbell that one of the easiest ways to see that you're following the correct path in life is to follow your bliss. Now, bliss in that way of thinking is a part of three states that help you achieve enlightenment in the form of Hinduism that he was being instructed in when he first came up with this formulation. And so we should seek to have perfect sat-chit-ananda. We should seek to have perfect consciousness, perfect being, and perfect bliss. And once these three things are perfected within us, we will achieve enlightenment. And as Joseph Campbell was would always say when he would tell the story, how can I know if my being is perfect? I, I cannot know. How will I know if my, you know, mindfulness is perfect? I, I will never know. But I do know where my bliss is. So, so as long as I follow after my bliss, then I should be heading in the right direction. Now, bliss is a very important word here, and it is a cousin to pleasure. Pleasure as the prophet tells us here, is a freedom song, but not freedom. So we shouldn't confuse the, the ability to receive pleasure from an experience as freedom. They're not the same thing. Just because you are free to have a pleasurable experience, and pleasure can be the song of freedom, it is not the freedom itself. It is the blossoming of your desires, but not their fruit. The blossom comes first. And once it has been pollinated, it will grow and develop into the fruit. But you would never confuse an orange blossom for an orange. Would you? They're very different things. How about a rose for a rosa hip? No, they're very different things. And so... Throughout all of these, a squash blossom is not a squash, and so on and so forth. And this is what the prophet is trying to get through to us. That our pleasure is an indicator, but it is an early indicator, and not the fullness of it. I, I love the phrase, it is the depth calling to the height, but it is not deep. It is not the deep, nor the high. See, the, the experience of pleasure itself is that echoing in between the two. It is the one calling out for the other. It is not one or the other. This is something that I, I, I don't like talking about my writing on this show because I feel like I'm being very self-serving when I do that. But for me, in most of my life, it comes to me when I write. 
my fiction is something near and dear to my heart. It is what I find pleasure in doing. I love writing the stories. I like everything about the process. I really enjoy it. It is where my pleasure is. But it is not the fruit of that. See, it's not in the writing. It's not in the editing. It's not in the publishing. It's not in the promoting. It's not in the going and talking about where my actual desire lives, where the actual thing lives. It's in the being read by others. See, the actual secret want of my heart is for other people to read my stories and enjoy them. So while I find pleasure in everything that it takes to create a story, my actual fulfillment doesn't come until somebody else partakes of that story. So hopefully that helps you get an understanding of what we're talking about here. The pleasure is not the end in and of itself. It's often the beginning hinting towards the end, towards the actual thing that we're striving for. Continuing from the text. Some of your youth seek pleasure, but as if it were all, and they are not judged and rebuked. I would not judge nor rebuke them. I would have them seek. I would have them seek. Just that. I stutter sometimes. That's why I wanted to actually stop and say, that's not stutter. I would have them seek. For they shall find pleasure, but not her alone. Seven are her sisters, and the least of them is more beautiful than pleasure. Not, um, have you not heard of the man who was digging in the earth for roots and found a treasure? And some of your elders, I'm sorry, I continued on to the next verse. Okay, so the story that he's talking about here is actually a story told by Jesus. There was a man digging in his field and he found a treasure. He was digging in a field, and he found a treasure. He then went and sold everything that he had to buy the field. This analogy to pleasure is an interesting one, in that it teaches us that, again, like wisdom, pleasure is the beginning. It is not the end. It is not the all-in-all. Something being enjoyable can be important, it can be powerful, it can be helpful in achieving our ends, but it is not the end in and of itself. Continuing from the text. And some of your elders remember pleasure with regret, like wrongs committed in drunkenness. But regret is the beclouding of the mind, and not its chastisement. They would remember their pleasure with gratitude as they would the harvest of a summer, yet it comforts them to regret. Let them be comforted. This is an important passage because this reminds us that regret is often the shadow of pleasure. There are so many people that, whether by nature or by training, gain 
satisfaction from regret. They feel that the regret that they have either earned or created out of whole cloth justifies themselves, not their actions, themselves in a way that gives them some sense of moral power or moral standing. This is a problem. This is something that we need to learn to avoid. Regret is how we hollow out our experiences and keep ourselves from actually having them. And regret, actually, as the prophet says here, doesn't teach us anything. It merely gives us something to hold on to so we don't learn anything. Well, I regret it. Yes, but did you learn anything? Did you make amends? Did you make better? Continuing from the text. And there are among those who are either young, who are neither young to seek nor old to remember. And in their fear of seeking and remembering, they shun all pleasure, lest they re neglect the spirit or offend against it. But even in their foregoing is their pleasure. And thus they too find a treasure, though they dig for roots with quivering hands. But tell me, who is he that can offend the spirit? Shall the nightingale offend the stillness of the night, or the firefly the stars? And shall your flame or your smoke burden the wind? Think you the spirit is still is a still pool which can be troubled with a staff? How beautiful is that? Because this is, again, something that I think too many people spend way too much of their life worrying about. We fear that our wrong actions will bring judgment upon us because, well, for the majority of us, we were raised in the fall redemption tradition that tells us that everything is evil, everything is corrupt at its heart, and in the end, everything is there for our regret and our sorrow. Nothing could be further from the truth. The world is a beautiful place, our experiences are our experiences in it. To say that the spirit can be troubled like a still pool by a staff is to not understand the vastness of spirit. It is to neglect our very nature as spiritual beings to say that this could be done. The spirit is vexed, but usually by its stifling We'll continue talking about this more after the break. So let's go back to the text. Oftentimes, in denying ourselves pleasure, you do but store the desire in the recesses of your being. Who knows, but that which seems omitted today waits for tomorrow. Even your body knows its heritage and its rightful need, and will not be deceived. And your body is the harp of your soul. And it is yours to bring forth sweet music from it or confused sounds. 
Now, this is very important. We've talked before on this podcast about the need to learn to sublimate our experiences, to sublimate the energies that are moving through us, rather than to deny them. Sublimation is the act of making making them beautiful, making them sublime, and taking those energies within us and purifying them before we let them out into the world. This is a core need. This is something that we have to learn to do if we are going to be successful in any of our tasks. And to think that we can merely deny the energies of our bodies, the energies of our mind, the energies of our spirit, is folly. It's, it's abject folly. We can find pleasure in physical sensations. We can find pleasure in intellectual pursuits. We can find pleasure in emotional experiences. A song can play that can fill our hearts with such delight that we can barely contain ourselves. We can finally figure out a mystery that we've been struggling with for a long time, and the heart leaps with joy and such great pleasure fills us. But there are those that say we shouldn't seek to know. There are so those that say we shouldn't seek to experience. There are those who say we shouldn't listen to the song. Those are all self-deceptions. Keeping ourselves down. Holding things in. Denying ourselves can prevent us in the short term from acting on an emotion, acting on a feeling, acting on a whim. But that energy gets stored and will find a way out. This is what sublimation is for, and this is what he's talking about here. Your body is the harp of the soul, and it is yours to bring forth sweet music from it or confused sounds. So which is it going to be? If, yes, maybe if you just let yourself run off, you will create nothing but confused sounds. But if you are going to constrain that energy, then let it be like a fine musician who holds back and keeps their voice small and soft until it is time to be released. And hits that high note that you can't even believe that their voice could ascend to. It's like the gymnast who allows the simplicity of their routine to belie the amazing acts that will follow. When everything breaks forth into thunderous applause as they wow you in ways that you didn't know their body, anybody, could perform. Learning to have that, learning to sublimate these interests and these powers within us is one of the great secrets of life. Continuing from the text. And now you ask in your heart, how shall we distinguish that which is good in pleasure from that which is not good? Go to your fields and your gardens, and you shall learn that it is the pleasure of the bee 
to gather honey of the flower. But it is also the pleasure of the flower to yield its honey to the bee. For to the bee, a flower is a fountain of life. And to the flower, a bee is a messenger of love. And to both bee and flower, the giving and receiving of pleasure is a need and an ecstasy. People of Orphalese, be in your pleasure like the flowers and the bees. Mm. And this, I think, is the great lesson of all life. This is why we constantly go back to the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, and the silver rule, don't do to others as you would not have them do unto you. Because this is the basic test of morality. It's that mutuality. If none is hurt, if all is pleasure, going back to the singer who's constrained their voice, who is hurt by this? The singer's voice gets to rest before they stretch out into those beautiful high notes. And the audience gets to sit there in anticipation, wondering when, what's going to happen next? When will they hit, hit the high? Are they going to go there? And in that mutuality, the two become one in a beautiful way. And everything opens up, and the whole world is made new in that moment. This is the thing that we often forget when we're talking about morality, when we're talking about pleasure. It's mutuality. If pleasure destroys something, then it's obviously not good. It's the difference between the symbolic and the diabolic. Both of these have their the same root. For something to be diabolic, it is to cut up into pieces. Symbolic things bring them together. We seek not to act in diabolic ways. If you find pleasure in strife, if you find pleasure in the pain and torment of others, in bringing other people to tears, that is not good pleasure. And that is an energy that you should learn to sublimate, because there is still a need for those who can debate, because there is much that needs debating. So if those energies are taken and turned to good use, and turned to proper use, where you're helping the world, where your energies are used not for your own enrichment, not for your own betterment, for the, but for the betterment of all people. Now those energies are made beautiful. Now those energies are made good and clean. Trolling is not clean. Trolling is not good. Trolling harms another for selfish unnecessary pleasure. But those same skills of persuasion and rhetoric, and sometimes even debate, when turned to the good, when sublimated and turned to things that need debating, that need change, 
then the power of your oration can bring you the same pleasure, but also bring about good and benefit into the world, and thus achieving that mutuality. Because remember, the key lesson that we have in life, the key thing that we are trying to learn in every moment of our lives, is that no one is a separate self. We are all interconnected. What happens to others affects me. And what happens to me affects others. Learning to live in that mutuality, in that interconnectedness, in that mutual dependency, is the path to wisdom, the path to virtue, and the path to greatness. Because when we deny that connection, when we selfishly take, we are harming the ones we are taking from. And that harm will stain and corrupt and destroy. You can see this in the Me Too movement. There's nothing wrong with receiving or anticipating sexual pleasure. But these were people who took it, who forced it, who shamed others and harmed others through the violence of taking it, either through pr pressure or coercion or sometimes physically t taking it. There is never, ever, a good that can be found in that. There is never a good that can be made from a one-sided pleasure like that. And it's worse than a one-sided pleasure, because it's a pleasure being used as a sword, as a cudgel, as a weapon. It is a tool of power, rather than a means of delight. Because had it been a means of delight, first it would have taken into effect the power structures that existed, because that's very important. If someone cannot say no, they can never say yes. That's important to realize. This is why addiction is harmful and very important to bring up when we're talking here as we are about pleasure. Pleasure is a good thing. It is a great thing. Mutuality is very important to that. But what if it only affects yourself? Well, addiction takes away choice. And if there is no choice, it's all about the power dynamics. It's all about how the power works. Heroin may feel good to the user, especially when they first start, but the power is in the heroin. It is taking control away from the user, and thus the problem exists. Thus the problem takes root. It is not a victimless pleasure. It is a victimizing substance. It takes what it wants, and it takes its control all in the name of pleasure. So anytime you're thinking about any of these things, Remember the mutuality that they should exist in. Remember that we should be like the bee and the flower, aiding, supporting, and strengthening one another, being a benefit 
one to the other. And if at any point that is not true, then the pleasure has become toxic and will destroy. That was a dark one, wasn't it? You didn't think it was going to go dark when you started talking about pleasure. Or you've listened to the podcast long enough to go, oh, we're talking about something happy. Oh, this is going to get dark. If you enjoyed this episode, like I asked before, please go rate it. That helps out a lot. If you've got a dollar, you can throw my way. In the show notes, you will find a link that says support on Anchor. If you click that, you can support at the $1, $5, or $10 a month levels. That goes to me to help pay for everything that I do. I recently had to buy a new microphone, which I'm will be here Wednesday. So I'm looking forward to that because this one's been behaving oddly. Um, if you don't have the money to give, don't worry. Don't worry at all. I don't do this podcast for money. I really don't. I like talking about spiritual things and I don't find people talking about them from the tradition that I come from. So I thought I would do it. If you don't have the money or you don't want to give, please pray for me. That helps out a lot. If you don't understand that, I recently did an entire episode on praying. <laughs> Go back and listen to it. You'll understand the power of prayer. Also, if you know anybody who you think would benefit from this podcast, please share it with them. That helps out a lot, too. If you want to follow me on social media, just go to wisdomscry.com. You'll find a link to all my social media accounts over there. Finally, if you have any questions or comments, I would love to hear them. Just go to anchor.fm and download the Anchor app on your platform of choice. Follow Wisdom's Cry on there, and then you'll see a button that says Voice Message. You can send me up to a one-minute message. Maybe a question, a comment, or a topic you'd like for me to discuss on the show. Reading close to the end of The Prophet, I have an idea of what I want to do next, but I love taking questions. So if you have one, please share. I would love to do that. And until next time, may God keep you ever growing in wisdom and compassion. Amen. <laughs>